Welcome to Unlikely Intersections, where intent, impact, and inquiry inspire our conversations. I'm Doc Philip Brown, and I'm here with Dr. Terry Jackson, and we're at the intersection. Interesting thing about intersections is that we all experience them daily, many of them, and how we handle these intersections, whether they're at work, at play, at home, or at work, really determines the trajectory of our days and our lives. We got a pretty interesting topic today, don't we, Doc? Yeah, very interesting. Curiosity. A lot of people say curiosity killed a cat. I don't think curiosity killed a cat. I think curiosity allowed the cat to live a better life. Gave and him, gave and plus nothing. he had nine lives, so he had something to spare. That's right. <laughs> he had something to spare. And it gave him an additional eight lives to explore and to analyze and to investigate, right? That's, uh, that's something that we need to be doing more of as humans. I love it because some of the work actually that our executive leadership team did with your company, we really took a, a deep dive into our core values. And it affirmed for me that curiosity is perhaps my number one core value. Mm-hmm. And so I love this idea of talking about curiosity and what it can mean to a person, a team, or an organization. You know, I was doing a little bit of research on curiosity earlier today and found that by the age of five, that's when we're at the height of our curiosity. After that, once we get seven, eight, nine, something happens and we're not as curious. And most CEOs of organizations really at very low levels of curiosity. Isn't that a shame in the, from the standpoint of you think five to seven years old and you reach the peak of curiosity. And I think about how the whole breadth of experience that I've had now and how in many respects I think I'm much smarter, wiser, mm-hmm. but I'm not as curious. Yeah, you know, and I think that asking a question and being curious, oftentimes we might think that they're the same, but I think they're a little bit different because of a curiosity. You ask the question, but you begin to probe and you begin to dig and you begin to research. And you it's like a child, right? You really are not satisfied until you find exactly what you're looking for. But somewhere down the line, we lose those juices, those curiosity juices, as I like to call them. And uh, we need to see how we can regain those. And that's one of the things that occurred to me again, I guess it's been, I don't know, what was it? Two and a half years ago mm-hmm. when, when uh, our executive team was doing work with, yes. with your uh, company, JCG. And it really hit me about what was going on with my kids at the time. Mm. Right. And they were teenagers. And I was thinking about how do I help continue to foster their curiosity? Mm-hmm. And so it really made me think about my own personal way of managing their questions, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. fundamentally changed my outlook as a parent, actually, just by doing that, because I, I just couldn't stand the thought of, of stifling that curiosity, because that's where our future is. That's right. Absolutely. And it's interesting, because even though we were taking your executive team through the curiosity exercise or, or, or initiatives, at the same time we're doing that, it's driving our curiosity at the same time. Because now we're asking, are we are, are we presenting the right information? You know, are they actually getting what it is? How can we explore a little bit more and provide them with something else? So even though we were the facilitators, it was raising a lot of questions from us about are we curious enough and are we giving them this information that enables them to be curious enough. So it's an ongoing perpetual cycle of curiosity. And that's the beauty of it, right? And I love, you know, I'm a big fan of Ted Lasso. We've <laughs> shared that. Yes. You know, I held out for a long time not watching it. My sister beat on me until I finally watched it and everything. And, of course, I was hooked instantly. But he uses a quote in one of the season one episodes, a Walt Whitman quote mm. uh, that is one of my favorites. It says, be curious not judgmental. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how that how hard that hit me 
but it actually hit me earlier based on some of the work that we were doing and some other coaching that I was getting mm-hmm. at the same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. One of the pieces of advice was, you, you know, doc, you need to suspend judgment, mm. right? Cause as, as a surgeon, that's what we're, we're paid and trained to do is make judgments and make actions based on those judgments. That's not right. a whole lot different from any other executive or, right. or, or leader in, in many respects. But at first I didn't know how to take it. Right. I'm like, well, I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't really even realize how much judgment and how quickly I was applying that judgment. So I put some thought into it and I realized that every time I made a quick judgment, I was working against my core value. And as soon as that light went on, it really fundamentally changed the way I approached almost everything in my life. Mm. I don't do it right every time, right? Because there's like a, you know, there's a training that exists that puts judgment into all of our minds really quick. That's part of what extincts the childhood curiosity and all that kind of stuff. But as I really began to conscientiously apply myself to staying curious and to avoiding judgments, it really began to open up the whole world of possibility. That's right. That's right. Curiosity is, that's where the magic happens, right? Because you're perpetually asking and digging and seeking and looking. And with that, what you find out, and I'm sure you've heard this before, when, what you find out you know you really don't know because curiosity drives you there. It drives you to, to unlearn and to learn and to relearn and deconstruct and to construct, and that's a continuous cycle, right? And so what I thought about was, you know, what impact does curiosity have on the status quo? Mm. Now that seems like a loaded question because <laughs> There's almost no way to get out of it. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned earlier uh, about sort of the leadership tendency to lose that curiosity. And maybe, you know, that's not malicious. It just happens. You get to be an expert in something, you expect that, or let me say that differently. You think that people expect you to have the answers. Mm-hmm. And so you supply the answers. And wow, that's really a setup for the status quo, right? Because how are are you going to adapt to new situations based on a limited set of experiences, only yours, when you have to be the one as leader to always give the answer? It really is, it fundamentally underscores how contemporary leadership has changed. But, you know, this status quo piece, We talk about it all the time in, in different ways. The status quo is not something we want to maintain. That's right. Our whole culture is built on getting better, or let me say that differently again, is built on the concept of better as possible. That's right. That's right. And that it's something to be strived for. But how often do we end up in our own way and end up with the status quo? Because we're comfortable with the status quo. And so we don't want to question what if, what are the possibilities. I'm going to tell you what the answer is, and we're going to use that and apply it to achieve whatever we're seeking to achieve. We're not going to be curious. We're not going to try to usurp the status quo because of the comfortability of it, right? When we get into curiosity, that means that we're uncomfortable. And if we don't have the answer, as you mentioned, most CEOs want to be able to provide the answer, then we're perceived a particular way if we can't provide that particular answer. And so, again, that kind of stifles that whole piece of curiosity. But we have to be able to to crack that code of curiosity if we're going to continue to grow. That's where the growth happens at, right, where you're uncomfortable and you're just challenging whatever comes before you. You're not being judgmental, but you're challenging all assumptions. That kind of reminds me of, in a good way, of the COVID-19 pandemic and mm-hmm. how we manage things here uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina, in our little small health system at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. During the midst of the integration with the larger health system that had just acquired us, uh, 
And we were really trying to figure out COVID vaccines were being distributed in a wildly inequitable fashion. Mm-hmm. Like we were getting a lot of vaccines out, but when you looked at the populations that were getting the vaccinations, I mean, it was all privileged white patients mm. and the access pathways for people of color, particularly African-Americans and, and Hispanics, mm-hmm. Native Americans were not there. And we solved that problem through curiosity mm-hmm. because we started asking a question, what would it take to provide the similar access to provide an adequate opportunity for everyone to get these vaccinations. And once we started asking those tougher questions, we started getting some really creative answers from the team, right? <laughs> a lot of the team members are, you know, lived in the same conditions that we were trying to figure out. They had the answers all along. All we had to really do was listen as leaders. And, you know, I'm really, I I get inspired, almost emotional every time I really talk about Mm -hmm. how successful that was because we ended up eliminating the vaccination disparity Mm -hmm. between white patients and black patients in our community. It was a big effort. Multiple stakeholders, lots of partners, not just our organization, Mm -hmm. made the same inroads into the Latinx community as well. So we were really making a difference, you know, and that made us feel good. But you know what really made us feel good about it? We looked at the data mm-hmm. and realized how many lives we had saved. And it connected us back to what we were trying to do in the first place, which was fight the pandemic. That's right. Successfully navigate it. And, you know, and it all started with just curiosity, asking the right questions, not the counterfeit questions, right? You talked about this like when we first opened up, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, it's, curiosity is more than asking questions, right? If it's a question you think you know the answer to, it ain't a question. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. You know, and, and we talked about the success that, you know, the healthcare system here had because it was curious during the pandemic, right? To make sure that everyone uh, was able to receive the, the, the uh, vaccines. And that's healthcare. But one of the biggest systems where curiosity seems to be, ha- has been eliminated, is the educational system. And so, how does the educational system promote or discourage curiosity in today's society? Because I see a lot of test taking all of these different companies that come in and three or four times a year they're testing the kids. And I'm like, well, if you're testing the kids and you're not giving them homework, how curious, how can you be nurturing that curiosity? You're not. You're asking them to learn some information and be able to regurgitate that information with few questions. And those questions are simply in the context of what they're learning, but nothing outside of, as we like to say, nothing outside of the box. That's That brings up such a, a great point. You know, it, uh, in fact, I've seen several articles in the news media about it uh, recently about professors that are having major complaints from student bodies because they're not teaching well, they're not engaging the students, the students are, you know, failing the classes and, the conversation around that is really mm-hmm. interesting, right? And I've seen a lot of them around some of the classic, what would be considered uh, pre-medical weed-out courses, mm-hmm. right? Which organic chemistry mm-hmm. is an example mm-hmm. of that. Now, mm-hmm. I loved organic chemistry. Had fantastic professors. Maybe one of the best professors I ever had uh, was in that, and I did well. Um, but our class, under his professorship, did pretty well. Mm. And it, it was, it's always been instructive to me that in these educational systems, it's not a mystery who's doing a good job teaching That's right. and mentoring and who's not. But it's pretty hard a lot of times to get rid of that person. And I don't know, my personal bias, I guess, is that 
if your teaching is so poor that nobody in that class can approach what we would typically consider a grade of A, it's probably your teaching that's a problem and not their learning. That's right. right? It's not <laughs> right. their curiosity. Maybe you as the, as the teacher have failed to be curious enough about what it takes to relate to students and to engage their learning styles and to engage mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. You know, especially with a course like organic chemistry, right? I've, I've always perceived the sciences to be, to ask the questions, right? Those world-changing type of questions. But when you look at the educational system, it doesn't appear that in the educational system those world-changing types of questions are happening. It might happen in research after the fact, right? But I always thought it's supposed to happen in the process of getting that formal education where you are taught. It's just like the scientific method, right? You, you walk through a process in order to get to a, a, a result, not knowing what the result will be, hopefully. But I would think in asking those same types of questions, you know, uh, as we like to say, thinking critically, a critical thinking, right? The Socratic method of asking questions that you can, and even going beyond the Socratic method or beyond critical thinking to really challenge Everything, not only to challenge the result, but challenge the result again to see if you if it's consistent or if you could create some new result, right? Um, to dig deep, I, I guess to say to go down the rabbit hole as far as you can. And that's what we need to do these days, it seems like, right? Like when you look at, and we've shared some data on here and in other shows about uh, disparities in performance across different ones. We mm -hmm. can certainly go to the educational system and and see where those disparities also exist. Mm -hmm. Whether you talk about our little community of, of a quarter of a million people or go to any major metropolitan area in the country, you see the same thing. It, is nobody curious enough to ask the questions that are necessary to educate these people? Their potential theoretically can't be any different and almost certainly is higher than the generation before. Mm -hmm. And there have been successes. We know it. We can call out the names of the great innovators and all that of every race, color, and creed. Mm -hmm. why, is, why, why is it so impossible to do? That's, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, curiosity should lead me down the path of wondering about other human beings, wanting to know about other human beings, not just from the observation, but to be amongst them and to learn, right? And so as you were saying that, and I know that you're passionate about this and we've talked about it, using curiosity to close the inclusion gap. Because that's all it is. Examining what the possibilities are with another human being and not letting the false narratives that's already been created for us getting, get in the way. So questioning those narratives. Again, um, the hue of a person's skin only has a biological function. So once I get past that and I know the biological function, if I explore, I'm going to find out that these people, are, we're all the same. So how do we use curiosity to get people to understand that or for them to be cu curious enough to want to explore? Because that's, that's really what it's all about. It's obvious there's some fears. There are fears there. But using that curiosity to overcome that fear and, and step into um, the curiousness to get to know other people that they don't know. Well, that's amazing because it really makes me think so, you know, what you've just described is a triangle, kind of like Bermuda Triangle, right? Because mm -hmm. you've got curiosity, humility, mm -hmm. and judgment mm -hmm. in, this, in this dangerous triangle, right? And for me, a gateway to curiosity, to true curiosity, really is humility. The mm -hmm. first thing you have to do is say, I am not really sure I know the right answer here. Mm -hmm. There, or, it may, you, you know, or maybe say, I might know something, and there might be something else 
right? Mm -hmm. But you have to keep that gate open to even begin to get curious. But what we see in a lot of these spaces in the inclusion space is that that fear is guarded by power. Mm -hmm. And that power protects the fear mm -hmm. by judgment. Mm -hmm. And so we impose things like, well, that can't really be the case because here's an example of where it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. We weren't curious enough to see what happened in 80% of the time. We pulled out a five percenter and said, what I think is right. And here's my example. But I drew it from the 5% or sometimes less. Yeah. Again, that's counterfeit curiosity. Curiosity is let's have the discussion. Let's look at the, let's look at the whole truth. Like we've talked right. about before, right? Mm -hmm. Let's understand mm -hmm a lot of more factors, not just my limited experience. That's right. That's right. And, you know, curiosity is the precursor to innovation and creativity. So when we look at inclusion, to be curious also means to have courage and to understand or want to understand what you don't understand. Because that's all it is. I'm asking and I'm exploring and investigating because I'm trying to understand what I don't understand. And you have to have the, the, the courage to do that. But more importantly, you have to be, it should incite more curiosity within a person to understand what I don't understand. That has truly been my experience um, in the inclusion space as I have explored it. And the first thing for me, the gateway was to, was to really be humble enough to admit that, you know, the world isn't exactly like my world. That's, right. you know, right. I just got a little tiny piece of it. There's a whole lot of other stuff. And at first it's pretty uncomfortable mm -hmm. when you, you know, when you have a, a friend group like I do, which is a diverse group of people. Mm-hmm to really acknowledge that things are were much different for them in a lot of cases harder, mm. less fair, less just, continue to be that way today. Mm -hmm. There's a period of discomfort that happens in confronting that reality. But for me, where it went next was the curiosity of, okay, how do I become a positive force to move it toward something better right right how is it possible to help somebody get better treatment better education better yeah. opportunity mm -hmm. better health mm -hmm. whatever it is you know when we're curious enough to start asking those questions what would it take your favorite question what if that's right uh then we start making progress right and we make progress as individuals, and then over time, we make progress as groups, cultures, and maybe one day as a society. That's right. You know, when I think about curiosity, I'm thinking, I'm looking at it from the other side of the coin, right? I'm, as an African-American male, how can I push the system, right? How can I, how can I uh, challenge the status quo? Through curiosity, and I like to say, how do I, how do I help clean up the sticky floor and sm smash the glass ceilings, and and get into opportunities that may not have been afforded to me? How can I use my curiosity to do such? I remember uh, having another podcast several years ago, and I decided if I wanted to be the best, I was gonna pick up the phone and call this this person that I didn't know. That person ended up being Marshall Goldsmith. I just called about the clear blue, blue sky. And eventually he, he decided that he wanted to be on the, on the show. And as a result, I was just curious, well, what if? What if I called him? What if he said yes, which he did? But if he said no, I wouldn't have been any worse off, right? So what if I decided one day that I wanted to do some consulting for the large healthcare system here? What would that look like, right? Curiosity had to drive all of those thoughts to, make sh to, to let me know that it could happen. And then from that curiosity, the investigation and the the examination, who do I get? Who do I need to get to know? What networks of people, right? So now I'm getting to know and meet different groups of people. 
inclusion. As a result of my curiosity, what if I can make this happen? What impact will it, would it have not only on me, but on those who come in contact with me and come to find out this unlikely intersection happened between you and I simply because of curiosity. Absolutely. And a lot of fun stuff have happened out of it, right? <laughs> yeah. like, you know, we've been part of all kinds of great change here yes. and, and other places. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because looking at the other side of the coin, so I'm sitting on the other side of the coin of, you know, so what happens? I remember the first engagement that you had with our organization. And there was a lot of discomfort in coming to that decision, not necessarily for me personally, because I knew you, I felt like I knew, mm -hmm. uh, had a really, really good idea of exactly what we were going to get. But it was a departure from the status quo. Right to take that chance to, you know, engage with somebody local, has its own set of risks. Uh, That's right. But it was really that process, and I like the way you put it uh, in terms of Marshall, what's the worst thing going to happen? Say no. <laughs> That's right. Right? For us, what's the worst thing going to happen? It's one bad engagement, uh, you know, and that's just where we have to get, right? Like, because unless we're – unless we're curious about how good things might be if we did them differently, we're going to get the same level of performance we've always had within a pretty small range. And that's really the status quo. And that's why people like to stay in the status quo, right? Because it's comfortable for them. That uncomfortability of doing something new, choosing somebody different, someone we really don't know uh, what's going to happen. Well, it's not going to be that bad. Normally, it's not as bad as we think it's going to be. It's it's the, all of that mental processing that we're doing, that we're thinking about how this is going to turn out. And oftentimes, they're worried about them themselves professionally as it relates to their career and what others may, may say or think. But then what if it works? Well, it also makes me really, really think of our friend Dr. Rao, right? Yeah. Like, it's the process. That's right. Right. Control is an illusion. That's None right. of us actually have control, right? That's right. Um, but there, you see it definitely in companies. You certainly see it in healthcare, right? Because that's one of the biggest fears. I can tell you, as a as a surgeon, you know, con it's all about control in a given situation. In mm -hmm. fact, as a vascular surgeon, you know, control is in two of the three terms that you have to do for every procedure. Mm. You got to have proximal control and distal control, which means there's no bleeding from above, no bleeding from below, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, and then you have mm -hmm. to have conduit, which is a bridge mm -hmm. to, uh, between the two points. Right. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that whole proximal control, distal control, but it applies across all of healthcare. Right. So you're trying to control the path, exactly what we're doing in COVID. Right. Mm -hmm. We're trying to control the spread of COVID. And of course, now any idiot can tell you it really wasn't controllable. There were certain things That's we could right. do that helped. That's right. Um, but we were figuring it out along the way and it, you know, it had a certain amount of, of out of controlness that was just going to happen. Mm -hmm. And our ability to navigate it much like anything else in life was really more based on how agile can we be? Mm -hmm. How well are we looking at what's actually happening and, and taking the next logical step, which is different than the one we, the ones we've been taking, mm -hmm. right? It's that curiosity piece of first just open questioning what's right in front of your face, mm -hmm. right? And, mm -hmm. and getting some different stakeholder input there and then charting out the next path. And just because you've charted to get to a certain place doesn't mean you're going to end up there. Mm-hmm. If you can make the next step, then a lot of times it opens up your view to something that's better than the place you were first trying to get to anyway. Absolutely. That goes back to the what if question, right? You continue to ask the what if questions and you can begin to design all of these scenarios around different possibilities. And then you can choose the best possibility from the scenarios that are created around that. What we have to do, and that brings me to the question is, how do we reignite curiosity amongst adults? 
Wow, that's a great question. I'm probably the wrong one to ask because, again, my core value is curiosity. Mm. And so I try to do it like in my teams by the way I conduct myself mostly, right? Mm -hmm. By asking questions, Mm -hmm. by sometimes coming up with, you know, why couldn't we, why couldn't we approach what would be considered perfection here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, what would it take? You know, a lot of times we work on health disparities and we try to get 80% of of people taken care of with a given intervention. And sometimes I say, well, that's great. It would lead the country. But what would it take to get everybody? What would we gain, right? So I think how we conduct ourselves in our daily lives with questions, Mm. you know, it's like, it's interesting. Our show's unlikely intersections, but there's one likely intersection that we come to every day, multiple times. And that is, it is likely that you'll come to an intersection where several different paths are all viable. How do you choose? How do you ask the right questions that helps you choose the next viable path? That's right. That's right. And do you choose something because you may be familiar with it? You kind of know where it's going to go? Or do you just do something totally different, right? That's always the question. And and, and as I, I go back to our friend, Dr. Rao, when I told him I needed to meditate more, he said, no, you need to become meditation. And I guess we need to become curiosity, right? We need to always ask those additional questions, regardless of how annoying they may be to anyone else. Because what we're really trying to do is explore the possibilities to choose the best possibility. And the best possibility may not be a possibility that we've ever been familiar with before. But you can't go there unless you're curious. And so for most adults, that curiosity juice has been suppressed for lack of a better word. It's been suppressed. And so I think for society to become better, especially around being more inclusive, it's just becoming comfortable with being curious. And I like the way you put it around, you know, the best possibility of a lot of viable choices. And so it makes me think, you know, it's kind of, the best possibility means you have to exa- have examined a lot of them. And that brings me to another uh, sort of status quo thing that you hear about best that works against that in the inclusion space. Because how often have you heard, well, I, we just are looking for the best candidate for this job, right? Like right, right. As, if, as if in humans there can be a best Right. There's not. There's different. That's right. Right. Like there. So if I choose you uh, to be the CEO of my company, I'm sure you're going to be great. I don't think there's a best. If I chose another person, they might be equally great, but there's no way y'all would be the same. That's right. So when we talk about the best person, sometimes that's used to maintain a status quo that prevents inclusion and belonging and so we always have to be really careful if we're honest about getting to wanting to get to the best path forward to the best answers that means that within our groups that we surround ourselves for our decision making Mm -hmm. we bring forth a lot of different opportunities choices belief systems and too often we don't do that that's the absolute truth and that led me to think about when I hear the phrase cultural fit oftentimes cultural fit maintains the status quo because I want someone in that's a fit that I can agree with and, and I like but who we may need different right we might need different to help bring out our curiosity to help bring to help us become more inclusive by listening to a point of view that's totally different than my point of view or anything I've ever heard 
But when I logically consider it, it makes sense. That's where the value and the magic happens. That absolutely is. And, you know, to a certain extent, in my experience, I've found that the highest functioning teams, there are points during that decision-making mm-hmm. process where it's, it's like a rugby scrum, right? Mm-hmm. Like everybody's talking about something different. No, you know, there's, there is robust disagreement and debate mm-hmm. based on individual temperaments, talents, and perspectives. But it's only through that process and oftentimes with the help of a skilled navigator who's curious enough to tease out the most viable elements of Mm -hmm. each perspective to then create a collective solution Mm -hmm. that becomes the foundation of your great business plan, of your great new healthcare quality initiative, of your great entrepreneurial idea, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's where we got (laughs) to... We do have to be cur- courageous, like you said earlier. It does take courage sometimes to be to be curious. Mm-hmm. Yep, it does take courage. Yeah, because again, anything other than is the status quo, right? And I would think that in any given situation, the status quo is what you don't want. You want something new. You want something fresh. You know, it go. It reminds me of the. I think the quote might have been Einstein uh, that said that uh, our best thinking got us here. And if we're here, and this is the worst possible situation, then I need to be curious because I need to get out of the worst <laughs> possible situation to get in better situation. And the only way to do that is to break the status quo through curiosity. Yeah, it kind of reminds me. One of the things that uh, I always tried to to instill in the residents, the surgical residents that I taught was that, that concept of curiosity. And of course in surgery, it's always kind of metaphorical because mm-hmm. we, we sometimes talk in code and different kind of things. But one of the examples I always used, uh, was from Rudyard Kipling, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ricky, Ticky, Tabby, right? Mm-hmm. Go mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. see and mm-hmm. find out. Mm-hmm. And you know, the thing about Ricky, Ticky, Tabby, is the quote is, it is impossible to frighten a mongoose mm-hmm. because he is eaten up from nose to tail with curiosity. Mm-hmm. He's literally too curious to be scared. And I think there's real magic there too, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. if we are honest with ourselves and, and we come to it with a position of, I want to be curious, I want to know the best path forward, then that curiosity will help us overcome those fears. It will help us overcome all the perceived barriers, right? Like, you know, I'm a big believer in limiting constraints and eliminating barriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can do that. Most of those barriers are inside ourselves. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even the barrier to curiosity. Right, because I'm, I've been doing it this long, for so long. I'm not gonna try a different way. I'm not gonna be curious. It's like what they you hear in organizations all the time. We've been doing it like this for so long, right? <laughs> so I don't want. I'm not gonna do anything to break the status quo. I'm definitely not gonna be curious, because this is who we are. No, you're always becoming who you are. And so, in order to become, you got to ask the question: What if? You got to ask the question, who do, who do we want to become, right? And that brings out all kinds of curiosity because then you can break out your, you can break out your paintbrush and you can begin to paint who you want to become through curiosity and let curiosity drive you there. And that reminds me of, you know, there's this concept of, of, of good enough. There's a concept of this is the way we have always done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a way of thinking that, you know, it will see us through. But the way that often plays out, and I think we might be really close to this in, in healthcare on mm-hmm. a big scale, is it's a game of chicken, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like this unwillingness to change, you know, is why 
Kodak decided not to do digital photography and basically no longer exists. That's right. That's right? why Blockbuster's not here anymore. Right. It's, you know, we talk about disrupting ourselves and doing something radically different, which requires us to be curious. But a lot of times we're not quite curious enough because it ain't but so radical we want to be sometimes. That's right. Fear. That's right. It's in that application. What, I'm a, what am I going to get? I really don't know. But I do know what I'm going to get if I do what I'm familiar with. So guess what I do? I'm, going, I'm familiar with this. I'm going to continue to do this. I might shift it or modify it, tweak it very, very gently. But that's more for comfort than anything else. But I'm not going to be radical or really disruptive, right? Because I don't know what I'm going to get. And if I don't know what I'm going to get, then that fear, right? And so that quells my curiosity. Yeah, and that really, you know, that, that concept that you were talking about, I think we see that get driven by certain business processes, right? One of the key things mm -hmm. that I see that my bias is that is a wrong way of doing is, you know, when you set one and three-year goals, you know, one, two, and three-year goals for an organization and tie them really heavily to compensation, mm. That's usually a great formula for mediocrity, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Because those goals will end up being so finitely crafted that people can meet those goals and get that compensation. Mm -hmm. And so there's a whole world of what could have been that never gets explored. That's right. Right. And so I think that's one of those things that organizations really need to be careful with, right? Like, on the surface, that's another curiosity thing, right? On the surface, it sounds great. Well, let's give Doc Philip Brown, let's give him these goals. If he doesn't meet them, we'll, we'll, we'll give him half compensation, right? right? The trouble is that those goals are usually set much lower than what I could obtain if I had security. That's right. And it's sometimes it's that, that little bit of stability at your feet that enables you to shoot for the stars and maybe hit the moon. Right. And until we start thinking about things more deeply, being curious enough to assess the impact of our processes, we're just going to be stuck. Status quo again. Man, this, this is like a circular equation. We keep coming back to status quo. That's right. That's right. We should want people in our organization when we interview them it's going to challenge what I do when they come inside the door because in order to be a cutting edge, innovative, creative organization, I need people who are going to challenge the way we, we currently think. And they should be rewarded for challenging how the status quo thinks because, again, innovation and creativity, they're both fueled by curiosity. That really makes me think of Curiosity is a tool for engagement, yes. right? And I think it's very powerful, right? Like it is maybe the most potent tool you have for engagement, but it has to be genuine, right? It has to be humble. You have to actually be asking somebody. Let's say you're on my team. We're trying to do the vaccine initiative, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. By being curious about what you really think is a good path forward and by having enough confidence to let you take that ball and run with it, to develop that idea, we have to let our teams develop those ideas and try things, right? Try them in a pilot, try them on a certain scale, right? But if we were curious enough to wonder about what they really believed, and they were courageous enough mm -hmm. to really tell us, then what happens is often that magic that you talk about. Mm -hmm. And it has to be a habit. Mm -hmm. you know. And the time where it comes up and it doesn't do as well can't be the end of the curiosity because mm -hmm. then we got to ask the questions, right? So we thought this would work. Didn't exactly work like we thought. Why? Mm -hmm. Come up with an answer. And then 
why again? Mm -hmm. Sometimes ask why five times. That's right. Almost always get to the root of that thing. And guess what? That person now knows that you really valued what they were trying to do, that you believed in them, that you're willing to back them up again mm -hmm. because they've thought through it. And by just that simple thing, you've you've coached them into a better spot. Mm -hmm. And the next time, that outcome is likely to be unbelievable. I've seen it repeated time and time and time again in patient safety, patient experience, any kind of healthcare outcome, and other endeavors as well. I would be willing to bet that most people who are not curious are not curious because they don't want to think. In what you just said, you mentioned thinking and you mentioned thought and the five whys. And every time somebody asks you why, you got to come up with another response, which requires thinking, right? And curiosity doesn't happen if there's not any thinking. And people don't want to think. They want to be very rote, right? Because we talk about processes and structure and discipline. But there has to be process and structure and discipline around curiosity as well. And that really, that's amazing. You know, really, it prompted me to think of a whole other thing. We got to do this sometime on another episode about surgery, right? Like, what does it take? And yes. it's interesting because during the operation, you don't want to be curious. You don't want to have to be curious. Right. That has to come before, right? And it comes in two forms before. It's in the head, mm -hmm. right? I have to be curious about exactly what the diagnosis is. I have to be curious about anything that makes this potential case different mm -hmm. from an anatomic or physiologic basis that's a patient factor mm -hmm. and all the different things like that. But that's not enough. That's the head curious. Then in surgery, there's a heart curious, mm. which means if I'm going to operate on you, I need to have enough empathy to put myself in your shoes, mm -hmm. understand many factors about your life, your health care desires, your belief system. Mm -hmm. And then I have to take what's in my head and what I've picked up from your heart, and we have to co-create an option for what we're going to do for the procedure, right? Like, I know the range of possibilities, so I'm, I'm never going to come up with something that's not in the range of possibilities. Mm -hmm. But if I fail to be curious with my heart and I'm only curious with my head, I set people up for a very dangerous situation. Mm. So we, we need to do a whole other episode focused on medicine and healthcare on that. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. Because that's deep, man. <laughs> but it really hits me of how curiosity, right, right. it's really that pure, you know, he didn't stop. Curiosity never stops. That's right. That's right. You know, it's that reinvention with every breath. And so, you know, I, I could probably talk about this topic for days. And you know what? We, we always like to say, think outside the box. If we would just let curiosity go and not quell it for a five-year-old, we would never have to say think outside of the box. Because curiosity is always outside of the box, right? Because the box is whatever context or construct that you currently have and you want to think outside of it, so you have to be curious in order to do so. But the box never would have been created had we just let curiosity run wild. Out of the box, yeah. Yeah, out of the box thinking. All we're asking for is curiosity. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Maybe we should try not to put people in the box to That's start right. with is That's what right. you're saying That's if right. I'm hearing you right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, where do we go, right? So we, we've got these massive forces for status quo, mm -hmm. right? We've got a couple of out-of-the-box thinkers here, maybe. Maybe, maybe, right? maybe. Uh, when we let ourselves, when we give ourselves permission, mm -hmm. uh, how do we carry this beyond? Where does it start? That's a great question. Um, I think it's by challenging everything we know and challenging everybody we know to, to – to think a little differently, to be a little differently, to look at the institutions and ask them to, to think differently and to be differently, go out into the community, ask the same thing, 
maybe even have curiosity forums of what can we do to become a better community? What can we do to be more inclusive and not utilize the same types of responses and the same types of uh, solutions that have been created because those, those solutions are not working. It's obvious. Oh, we got it. The data is clear. And so, as Dr. Rao would say, we have to become curiosity. Whatever that is, we have to be it because that's going to allow us to question everything and not be judgmental at the same time. And isn't it amazing that so many times huge winners in business are the ones who were very curious. That's it. I mean, there's a whole, I mean, Apple was built on that concept, right? Think different. Yes, that's right. You know, going back to that great, magnificent commercial. That's right. And that, that Steve Jobs piece when he announces that as the thing. And it really makes me think, you know, it's only those people who are curious enough to believe they can change the world that actually do. And curious enough to continuously examine their mental models on a day-to-day or moment-by-moment basis. I'm thinking like this. Why am I thinking like this? Maybe I need to think like this. If I think like this, maybe I'll come up with a better solution. So they gotta, people got to question themselves all the time around why am I coming up with this answer? And we have minute-to-minute opportunities to do it. That's right. Right? Maybe you're driving down the road and something strikes you as a behavior, right? Just It's like a practice. Yep. You know, it is. Maybe it's like Dr. Ralph told you, you have to become meditation. You have to become, right? Yeah, that's right. You have to become cure. You know, that's exactly uh, what it is. But I'm encouraged right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things we see, or I see a lot of criticism of younger generations in healthcare. Or maybe a different work ethic or uh, mm-hmm. lots of different reasons, you know. What it really amounts to is they won't put up with the status quo. Exactly. <laughs> you know? They don't want, yeah. They've, they've so, watched it. It wasn't good enough for mom and dad. Right. And yeah. so I'm thinking, should we be critical of that? Or should we be curious enough to engage it and make a better world? That's right. And I think really that it, it's the latter, that really if we do that, if we do engage it and understand, you know, to me the question is, what is that person seeing that I'm not? That's right. That's why are, right. Why is it, you know, why do they not want to do these things that I had to do? And what better path do they see? That's it seems right. to me like if we explored those things a little bit more deeply, mm-hmm. we might be surprised with the result. We'd get a better understanding of what we don't understand about them. And that's what it's all about, that's I guess. Right. Well, I'd like to really thank our audience for joining us again, another Unlikely Intersections episode. We'd love to engage with you at unlikelyintersections.com, or you can catch me on LinkedIn at Doc Philip Brown. Or, and you can catch me on LinkedIn at Terry Jackson, PhD. We'll see you at the next Unlikely Intersections.